It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcasts on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. My name is Kay Winningall and today I'm joined by my co-host Natalie Bucknell. Hello Kay. And Michael Steindorf. Hi Kay. Hi listeners. Today we're continuing our series of shows exploring energy and industry as we lead up to the release of BZE's Electrifying Industry Report. The report will be launched on September the 13th at the Melbourne Synchrotron. The launch is part of an all-day summit for manufacturers to access information and networks to assist in improving energy efficiency and reducing costs with renewable energy. Energy efficiency is a critical component of reducing emissions in industry and is often called the low-hanging fruit. So we really appreciate the chance today to hear from Rob Murray-Leach, Head of Policy at the Energy Efficiency Council. Hi Rob, thanks for joining us. Hi. Good to have you with us. Rob, your website states that the Energy Efficiency Council, or EEC, is Australia's peak body for energy efficiency, co-generation and demand management. Tell us about it and what does and who it represents and the market that you work in. So the Energy Efficiency Council is uh, an organisation that brings together a whole range of experts in energy efficiency. So that's local governments, um, big companies, small independent experts, um, in academic institutions. So it's a really, really broad range of people who have deep knowledge in this area. Um, and the idea of the council is to bring them together to um, basically grow the energy efficiency sector and improve the level of energy efficiency in the country. Okay. So we also understand that energy efficiency is called the poor cousin of energy management. Have you heard that term? Or or of of clean energy or of energy management? Well, in the sense that all the focus in Australia particularly seems to be on the cost of energy Mm. and not actually um, paying attention to the fact that your real cost of energy is... It's cost times the amount of energy you use and the, the cheapest energy to save it, or the cheapest way to reduce energy bills is actually the energy efficiency. Yeah, look, I, I tend to think of um, energy efficiency as kind of like Cinderella. Like it stays home and does all the actual cleaning <laughs> while, um, you know, uh, the renewables and uh, the uh, coal-fired generation get to go to the ball in the media every day. So um, that's kind of, yeah, it, it does all the heavy lifting, but there's very little focus on it. Partly, to be honest, I think energy efficiency, if I'm quite honest, it's, I think it's really interesting. But um, it's not the world's sexiest thing. And I think sometimes we, what we're confusing is a measure of something with actually what it means to people. You know, what it really means is well-designed homes. And if you have a well-designed home or you have a well-designed business, um, like a nice, clean, sustainable home that's really comfortable – by definition, it's going to be pretty energy efficient. So it's actually a useful way to measure how good your home is rather than almost like that being the goal. It's better to think of it as it's a side effect of doing things well. Mm. Talking of which, an organisation called the American Council for Energy Efficient Economy, ACEEE, produces a biennial scorecard called the International Energy Efficiency Scorecard. Now, the 2018 scorecard's just been released and ranks Australia 18th 
in the world's 25 largest energy users. This represents a fall from its 16th position in the 2016 rankings and 10th in 2014. Australia is now the worst performing major developed country in the world in this ranking system and is even ranked behind China, Indonesia and India. The EEC commented on the the report at the time. So could you tell us what the take-home messages were from that? Look, the rest of the world's going pretty hard on energy efficiency. The International Energy Agency, which is the peak body for governments around the world on energy, um, calls energy efficiency the first fuel, and Europe's taking it very seriously. The first fuel. The first fuel, and it's it's because actually more... If you think about energy efficiency, it's almost a form of capacity, right? So... um, We have fridge standards in Australia, and fridge standards basically create as much capacity in the energy market as Cogan's Creek, which is the largest generation unit in Australia nowadays. So it's the biggest generator in the country, our fridges, in effect, which is kind of wild if you think of it that way. Um, How are you calling it a generator? In terms of the savings? or In terms of capacity. So if you think about the megawatt hours you save from from fridges each year, Mm -hmm. that basically means you can replace a whole generator just by having oh, Okay, so that, that's the savings from if we continued business as usual. Yes, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's um, other countries are going really hard on energy efficiency. They, they've got a lot further to go, but there's been a lot of ramping up ambition in this space, uh, particularly you could certainly say Europe and America, and that's where people tend to think, but actually the biggest growth has really been in China, which is just doing extraordinary things in India. Um, at the same time, Australia has gone backwards. You know, we've we've dropped uh, the ball and we've lost a couple of major important policies under Tony Abbott, um, which are being reconsidered at the moment. So, what does, what does the scorecard look at? How do they come up with an assessment for a nation? Yeah, it's actually surprisingly good. Like, I, I had a look at it in detail, and I'm not normally. Um, multi-criterion analysis, you know, sort of Mm -hmm. trying to rank all these complicated things in one go is is a really hard thing to do right. Actually, I was really surprised when they look at it. They've done a great job. They've weighted it really fairly. It's a combination of big things. So how much energy do you use per kilometre in transport? Um, Things like how much energy to be used per square metre in buildings? Uh, And then also policies as well. And I actually think it's a pretty fair assessment the biggest gaps are we're, we're really terrible on industrial energy efficiency policy uh, and absolutely... Which is what I, BZE has identified, hence the Electrifying Industry Summit. Yeah, I'm really, really excited that you guys are doing this work because it, it, we're a long way behind. Uh, and the other one is, is transport, I think, is the biggest gap. You know, we, we are the only developed economy in the world that doesn't have fuel efficiency standards for vehicles. Mm. Uh, well, does not have any fuel efficiency standards for heavy vehicles and very poor fuel standards for cars? We don't have any fuel efficiency standards for cars. Ah, oh, okay. No. Like, it's, it's like we think we do, but actually we don't. No. <laughs> and, and on top of that, we're not making any effort to promote electric vehicles. Yes. No, absolutely none. So given all that, I was really surprised to read um, that our government actually has a target of 40% improvement in energy productivity by 2030. Mm -hmm. Uh, That came with quite a shock as part of the National Energy Productivity Plan. So did the International Energy Efficiency Scorecard give any credit for that plan? Yes, it did, and it went. That's great. How are you going and implementing it? Not very well. <laughs> Not very so well. that's actually even more embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> that gave credit for that. 
Yeah, look, I mean, it's good to have a goal. I think mm. you have to then say, what are you doing to achieve that goal? Yeah, and is it a helpful policy, do you think, so if, if we were pursuing it? The... The, the goal is, is reasonable. Um, I mean, it's much lower than we could aim for, but it would still be a big step up in what we're doing. Um, but, you know, you achieve goals by putting measures in place and we just don't have the measures. So I think some of the things that have been frustrating in there is we've been supposed to have automotive standards, so fuel efficiency standards for cars, um, for, God, it's been a really long time coming and we've really dropped the ball. So that, that still hasn't happened, even though that's in the plan. So, yeah, I know, I guess that whole issue of measurement leads me to the question, well, what exactly does a, an improvement in energy productivity mean? What is the goal of that? It's, it's not like measuring a reduction or, you know, amount of emissions or amount of energy consumed. No, and, and some people prefer energy productivity because it's a positive term. So normally with energy efficiency, there's this mm. weird psychological thing of, oh, I'm using less, so mm. that's bad. Whereas energy productivity is the... You can measure a number of ways, and I actually think you need to do it in different ways for what you're looking at. So generally, the the high-level metric is normally um, GDP, so gross domestic product per unit of energy. Okay. And that's that's pretty reasonable for some industries. That works pretty well. So if you're manufacturing widgets, how much energy you used per dollar of output is pretty sensible. Um, For other ones, it's really not so good. So if you're doing, for example, mining... Um, GDP is not a great measure because it'll fluctuate so much with the commodity price. Uh, mm. And then if you're talking households, it's completely meaningless because really what you're thinking about is what's your what's your well-being per unit of energy? How warm is your home? How comfortable is it mm. per per unit of energy? And so, <clears throat> you know, GDP is generally the, the, the sort of peak one. But again, you need a, a range of measures to kind of really get a sense of how you're doing on energy efficiency. But it's effectively how effectively you've used that energy, how much of the the product you want you get out of it for a given energy input. Yep. Mm. So what's the background to this target? How did the government come to this 40% figure and what sectors of the economy does it cover? It covers everything. Yeah, so it's it's industry, households, transport. Uh, it's all rolled in there. Um, there was a range of work that they undertook internally to come up with that figure. Uh, at the same time, there was um, some great work by ClimateWorks and a group uh, called the uh, – it's now the Alliance for Energy Productivity. And they did some work to sort of see what would be the potential. I think it was in about 2015. Is this a pre-Abbott figure, is it? Oh, post-Abbott, post yeah. yeah. And, they, and they thought it would be possible to double energy productivity. Mm to 2030, between 2015 and 2030. That was three years ago, though, and, of course, we've lost quite a lot of time, so we'd have to review that target to see if it's still uh, appropriate. But, I mean, roughly in the ballpark, yeah, you could could cost-effectively double. So before the show, um, you were mentioning um, about an AIG report on gas, energy from gas Mm. in industry. Where does does that fit? Yeah, so I think... What's really interesting at the moment, we spend a lot of time talking to energy users and to government, and there is a genuine change of mood around the place. And the main driver changing that mood is some things that have been very obvious when you've been thinking about energy management for a really long time, which is when energy prices go up, maybe it's sensible to use it a bit smarter. Um, And so a lot of people have come to the conclusion gas prices are not going to drop down. Like in industrial terms, gas prices have gone from about... $3.50 a gigajoule. Um, they peaked 
uh, at around twenty dollars, a, uh, a bit over twenty dollars a gigajoule, and they've now come back to about ten dollars. But generally, people are saying the long-term price for gas, unless there's some radical shock, most of the expectations that the long-term price will be somewhere between eight, eight to twelve dollars, uh, at least in the next sort of five years. And there's no no particular reason that it would go back to the long-term price because we've been pegged to the international price. So why did gas prices go up? Because we started exporting gas, mm-hmm. and once you've got, built that export capability, you pay the international price. Um, so that's number one. And uh, and the second thing is obviously electricity prices have uh, more than doubled. So we had network costs doubled between about 2007 and 2013. So that's the poles and wires. Um, and that's a fixed charge on everyone's bill. And then the wholesale price, the price per unit of energy, doubled between 2014 and 2017. So that's made people start to focus a lot on these issues of how they can bring down bills and it's taken a while, but people are starting to say, oh, maybe the best way to bring down our bill is to use less energy and get a bit smarter with the way we use it. Um, and one of the groups I think that's really been leading this debate and doing some great work on it is the Australian Industry Group. And they released, they released a paper last year um, about how bad energy prices were and how much it was affecting industry. And they've just released another one called, uh, with, the, with the great title, um, From Worse to Bad, Um, (laughs) saying that, you know, um, things are still pretty terrible, but they're not as bad as they were in 2017. So gas prices have moderated a bit. um, But one of their absolutely key recommendations was improving energy efficiency and energy productivity. So what's the future scene for gas? I think you were talking about some people seeing it disappearing entirely. Uh, I don't think it's going to disappear entirely. But what I think is really interesting is that mainstream analysts are now starting to say that reductions in gas use in our electricity sector will actually be important for reducing energy use, uh, energy bills. So the idea beforehand mm-hmm. was that gas was going to be this really important transition fuel yep. to help us support renewables. Um, look, I think that that's true in peaking generation. Um, but what we've seen is that the more that gas sets the price for electricity, um, the higher price is going to be because gas prices have gone up so much mm-hmm. in recent times. So the more we can we can rely on other forms of generation, um, the cheaper our bills will be. Is that going to have a perverse effect of encouraging coal? Uh, look, it's a it's a really interesting question. We have seen a slight uptick of coal in Japan. Um, having said that, um, because it's a fascinating story, if you look at Japan and we can sort of talk about energy management as capacity. Uh, in 2011, obviously they uh, they had the Fukushima disaster and closed down a lot of their nuclear capacity. That was about um, sort of, oh, it was about, I think it was about 30% of their generation. It was 30% of their generation capacity. Mm. They replaced it all within two years, and half of that replacement was energy efficiency. Wow. That's wow. a great story. Yeah, is, I'd never heard that. that Mind blowing. And then the really interesting thing is some people say, well, they're building new coal, and you are seeing that in the, uh, in the, in the uh, in newspapers with some people commenting on it. There is some. It's really, really small amounts of it, like really amazingly small amounts of coal. Um, they have, they basically, in the short term, they had a massive jump up in gas. Um, they are putting in some more coal, um, and I think they will um, have it in there. But I think it's more of a diversification strategy rather than a, oh my god, we're going to get rid of gas and, and go and go back to coal. Having said that, if you look at the US, absolutely, gas has been the driving factor in pushing out coal there. Mm. Um, but that's partly because they've got so much low low cost gas. 
So with a view to being able to do that here in Australia, um, how hard was it for Japan to to make those energy efficiency improvements? Did they have to subsidise it a lot? Oh, I mean, Japan's a fascinating place and culturally very, very different. So, you know, they basically tell people, look, can you save energy? And everyone goes, oh, that seems a fair fair point. And they just get on with it. I mean, it's it's a really deeply culturally ingrained thing to, have, to be energy efficient in their culture. It's a fascinating place uh, in from an energy perspective. Um, and actually what happened is that in the short term, an emergency sense, that people literally just sort of took half the lamps out of their offices and got really just frugal with energy use. Mm -hmm. What's now happened is they've gone back to using energy, but just using it a lot smarter. Mm. Interestingly, the biggest energy savings in Japan were in their industry sector, which is phenomenal because Japan is probably already one of the most energy efficient industrial sectors in the world, Mm. um, if not the. Um, So they managed to go from being one of the world's most efficient uh, industry sectors to even more so in the space of just a handful of years. Extraordinary. Mm. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Rob Murray-Leach from the Energy Efficiency Council, and we're talking about energy efficiency. Rob, is there something else that the Australian government or us, we can take out of what Japan's doing that we aren't doing at the moment? Oh, yeah, huge amount. So, okay, I mean, where do you start? <laughs> yeah, look, I, I've got this. Um, you mentioned, uh, actually, there's a, there's a good question here, which is, uh, you know, are we doing a new policy handbook? And I thought, oh, was that Luke, my boss, putting you up to that? Because a very, very overdue um, update to our policy handbook. No. It's your website saying that you were going to start it in 2017. No, yeah. I didn't want to raise that, but just... No, no, it's it's win. it's um, just life's been a bit crazy. There's there's a lot going on in the energy sector, it turns mm. out. You know, we keep on thinking... Which is good. We've, we've sorted out carbon pricing and then it keeps on coming back mm. and... Which you is know, bad. Which is just keeps on coming back. So tell tell us a bit about the policy handbook. Give us some background. Well, we're that. doing some work at the moment on global policy, and it's really interesting. Like, there's a handful of things which we just don't have in Australia, and you can look at the real leaders in the world. So uh, last year, I went and looked in. I was travelling for uh, family reasons, but I went to um, while I was travelling. I'm just a bit of a nerd, and I dropped into Japan, California, um, East Coast US, and Europe to sort of have a look at some of their policies. Um, and it was fascinating to see some of the leadership stuff in Japan. I think the really big ones are industrial efficiency, where they just have so much of a deep cultural focus on that. And they have since their first Energy Efficiency and Industry Act was like, uh, I think it was 1978. But prior to that, there's one from sort of 1890. Mm-hmm. Like, so like they, they, they've been onto it for a long time. Um, the second really big one is is vehicle efficiency again. So that's that's the really big jump in Japan. Actually, their buildings are not that efficient if you've ever been to Japan. They're they're pretty poorly insulated, a lot of them, uh, which is again a, a cultural thing. So, um, but yeah, from industrial efficiency, um, some really great lessons. And I think again, the other big thing from Japan is the way that they've integrated energy efficiency into their energy markets. So the idea is instead of just saying a market is a place for people selling energy, the idea is that if you're able to reduce bills for everyone else by improving energy efficiency, you can actually um, put that hardcore, hardwired into the into the energy market, which is what they've done. Talking about um, buildings and the way the Japanese build buildings, we we have a sim- similar problem here in Australia, don't we? Our buildings are quite poorly built, say, compared to the European standards. And we don't have any accountability. Like a builder builds a building and then walks away. There's no reason for him to build a well-insulated building. Are there ways to change that? I think you've really 
hit the nail on the head in terms of how I feel about it. I think, as I said, you know, energy efficiency is really a measure of how well a home is built. Um, and there's a lot of corner cutting just just culturally baked into our into our homes. You know, when Europeans come over and um, stay in my house, they're like, "Oh my god, every home in Melbourne is so damn cold." Right? And it's pretty standard. You know, it's we just don't have that culture of building buildings really solidly and well. So uh, I think how we fix that is is unfortunately it's this sort of long um, process of educating people that they should expect better. Which is, uh, and I know that's a very sort of um, airy fairy response to sort of the question. Yes, we need building standards. Yes, we need to educate people. Um, yes, we need to talk about it. But, but it's actually a long process of people realizing how much more they deserve from buildings. Yeah, and, and it, it it can't just be legislation. I mean, you know, we've got the four and five and ten star buildings, but in natural fact, how do we measure that? You know, what? How do we, when a builder hands it over, he doesn't actively tell people this is functioning as a five-star building or ten-star building does he she they they should um they should be i mean there's a new rating they should be but there's no way of actually proving it there's a new rating system that's out in victoria which is um called the residential energy efficiency scorecard Uh, and the idea is an independent assessor will come and look at your building um so that actually can be done um and then there is modeling software it's not as um in, in commercial building space, we've genuinely solved the problem of how to measure energy efficiency, mm. which is great. It is much more complicated in the household space for a range of reasons. Um, but, but fundamentally, with a, with a commercial building, they're basically large boxes that are heated and cooled to a certain set temperature. And it stays the same no matter who the tenants are. So you can just look at the energy use per square meter. Homes are not like that at all. Mm. So you have to assess features, and that is a much more complicated job. But um, there's some really good work by Alan Piers and a range of other people in developing these scorecards. So I think it's it's well worth people looking at. Who And Alan Piers is a person we're having on the show on September 7th, I believe. So he'll be able to talk more about that. Absolutely. Ask him all about it. I want to get onto one of your other reports, but just before we leave um, that report, the Efficiency Policy Handbook, um, have you any other major recommendations you want to tell us out of that? Yeah, sure. So we can talk about the household sector. I think probably the most important one, um, there's two really key ones we're missing in Australia at the moment, uh, or three really. The first is a, is a pathway for tightening building standards over time. So we do have building standards here. They're quite a long way behind for new buildings. Um, so having a pathway is sort of, you know, we're going to tighten them every five years, which mm. is how they've sort of approached it in a lot of European uh, countries, it makes it a lot clearer for the building industry. They know where things are going to go, and you tighten it gradually over time. Uh, this is for both commercial and residential buildings? Yes, that's right. Although the, the we're just in the process of doing a major tightening for commercial, but residential is quite a way behind now. Um, the second one that's really important is exactly what you're asking there, which is a rating system for homes when you buy and sell them. So we've had one in Canberra for since I think it's 1999, maybe even a little, slightly earlier. Um, and as a result, um, Canberra's really got um, really starting to get its act together in terms of homes. But Canberra's also taught us a really important lesson, which is even though ratings are mandatory for both sale and lease, what they found is that 47% of rental homes achieved a, an energy efficiency rating of zero basically means they're tense and if you spent much time in Canberra it is bloody mm-hmm. cold mm-hmm. like when I go up there I always remember to bring a scarf and a beanie uh, and mm-hmm. if I don't I regret it mm-hmm. so um, 
I think one of the most important things really for a lot of homes and a lot of people I know is minimum standards for existing homes. Uh, and if you're renting and leasing a home, you don't have a choice about making it better yourself. It's very hard to get a quality mm. home anyway. So really just minimum homes uh, standards for homes are the way to go. And that's what they've introduced in New Zealand recently with the Healthy Homes Bill and, and a similar one in the UK. Basically just says if you want to lease something out, um, it's a business proposition. You need to meet some minimum standards. So where does a landlord um, determine what they should do in the homes that they have for rental? There there's, doesn't seem to be any sort of pressure on them to make the house perform as well as their own home would. Absolutely, yeah. So so really, and, and the, the thing is, it's very hard to sort of uh, do that anyway, apart from firm legislation. And that's that's how they basically dealt with it. They said, you know, the, you have to have certain features in a place. You have to have insulation. Um, you have to have draft ceiling. Boom, boom, boom. Just some mm. basics. And considering more and more people are having to rent nowadays, it's a very significant issue. It is. And so there's a lot of support from this. This has been driven by ACOS, um, VCOS, um, Environment Victoria, a range of welfare groups in the Tenants Union Victoria. So it's a mainstream issue. Okay. We've just got two minutes left to cover your um, Navigating a Dynamic Energy Landscape report. So what's that about, please, Rob? Uh, look, this is something I'm really exciting uh, that, that's come out recently from the council. The idea is, you know, we don't always need to be giving people technical advice on energy efficiency. In fact, sometimes it's a mistake. Um, sometimes it's about who says something, um, what they say, and, you know, not giving the right level of detail. So basic point, um, how many people in this booth have got an Apple product? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. At least one. Okay. There's two people, three people, one one hand down. Um, who's read the terms and condition? I'm guessing none of you. Right. I trust everyone else to read them. Right. So this is the thing: is when you give people too much information, it just goes over their heads. So the idea of the energy briefing is it's for boards of businesses and for senior executives, and it's just the absolute core essentials of what they need to know about how to deal with rising energy prices. It's not just energy efficiency. So it's basically measuring their energy and understanding where it's going as the absolutely fundamental. Secondly, mm-hmm. a range of investment strategies, which is um, either energy efficiency, um, managing when you use energy, um, PPAs for renewable energy or other energy supply, and then the final thing is how to do energy procurement. So it's really, really basic, simple things, but it's the best information sort of distilled down into a really fast-to-read report, and then it's delivered to directors by directors. And something that they haven't, in general, been thinking about or had to think about up to now because we could just consume energy. Absolutely. So, Rob, where can our listeners find out more about this? So, if you want to read the energy briefing, I actually think it's a really uh, accessible intro to this if you're in a business. Um, It's just energybriefing.org.au. And if you want to read anything else from our organisation, it's www.eec.org.au. Great. Thanks very much, Rob. Thanks for your time. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. We've been speaking to Rob Murray-Leach from the Energy Efficiency Council. Rob's colleague, Carla Peglis, Manager of Sector Development at the Energy Efficiency Council, will be presenting at BZE's Electrifying Industry Summit in Melbourne on September the 13th. If you're interested in attending the summit, please go to the website electrifyingindustry.org.au. In the coming weeks, we're going to continue to examine various aspects of the electrifying industry in the lead-up to BZE's release of the report. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, you can go to bze.org.au and click on podcasts.
If you enjoy the program and can help donate to cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.